Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Listen, it's getting a little cold around, okay? You can't just walk around in uh, shorts and a t-shirt, all right? And Menlo Club is a men's subscription clothing service that delivers incredible product straight to your door for only $60 a month that will have you looking fantastic, and it's easy to figure out. Each month, you get two to three curated items of clothing shipped directly to you to help you build a thorough and well-balanced wardrobe guys i've said it once i've said it a billion times i don't i don't know how to dress okay menlo club has me looking sharp and it's easy i don't have to think are you too busy to shop are you too lazy it's stressful i don't like it i don't like figuring out the color coordination menlo club makes it simple leave it to menlo club it's simple you go out and pursue your passions and dreams and the menlo club will have you looking sharp doing it how easy is that how incredible is that fall has fallen upon us so you need to keep warm while looking sharp go to the menloclub.com that's the menloclub.com t-h-e-m-e-n-l-o club.com use the promo code champ that's me and sign up and get a double package for your first month for only 60 bucks. All right, brand new I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. This is Michael Rappaport on today's fantastic deep dish i am rapaport stereo podcast there's a recount in florida carmelo anthony must be a fucking asshole and the music man master ace and marco polo are here to talk about their dope ass new record i love this record 
called The Brooklyn Story. Marco Polo, producer who you've heard. You may not know his face. You may not even know his name. He's worked with everybody. And Master Ace is walking us through some of his best songs, including the classic song, The Symphony. Walking us through the making of The Symphony, produced by Marley Marl in his kitchen with Big Daddy Kane, Cool G Rap, Craig G. This is a hip-hop lover's delight interview with the music man, Master Ace, and Marco Polo. But first, I'm going to do what I do on a brand new banging I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast. Miles Jordan. Matter of fact, start off with some of that Brooklyn story by Master Ace and Marco Polo. Let's go. The sound of Brooklyn. Brownsville, Crown Heights, where the music feels good and it sounds right. Summertime, music in the park. We can do this in the dark. We don't even need no street lights. We bright. Look how we all shine. We all trying to live, so we all grind. And then we started saying Crooklyn. Had everybody thinking it was all crime. Shouted out to Spike Lee. And the dude on the corner in the white tee. And the girl off the block with the attitude. Had to write a song, show my gratitude Welcome Welcome to my city, man To the streets where the late Ray Biggie ran And damn near everyone's a Biggie fan That's cause we support our own Brooklyn Alright Michael Rapport, A.K.A. the Gringo Man Dingo A.K.A. the Jake LaMotta of podcasting Usually Sometimes It's always different Every single recording of the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast is totally different. But today, I am doing this in front of my 18-year-old niece who is visiting New York City from Halifax, Canada. She's my brother's daughter. We were out in the streets of New York today. She's sitting there on her phone watching me do this podcast. I don't know what the fuck she must be thinking. Um... But she is a captivated one-person audience. I am in New York. I am Mr. New York. Um, and we are rooking the vets. The I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast is here rooking the vets in the only way we know how to do it. Um, if you've never listened to the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, and there are so many brand new listeners, I got to tell you, uh, I hyped it up because it lived up to all the hype and expectations, and I knew it fucking would. Uh, the last episode, the celebration of Wu-Tang and Tribe Called Quest, respectively, uh, Midnight Marauders and, and Enter the 36 Chambers, I got to be honest, I, I never re-listened to the episodes more than once. If that, I can't stand the fucking tone of my voice. Okay. Now, I'm not suggesting that you, the fans, take on that same dislike for the tone of my voice because then we'd be fucked, okay? But I have to live with my own inner monologue and dialogue to myself all the time. Having to listen to it in stereo uh, is not a pleasant experience for me. I hope you guys enjoy it. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sway anybody 
to feel the self-hatred that I feel about myself. Um, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, but I am so fucking proud of that episode. And we brought in so many new fans. Um, and I listened, I actually listened back to the entire episode and, and enjoyed it. Um, listening to Method Man talk tribe, listening to Q-Tip talk Wu-Tang just got me fucking hyped. And since that episode has come out, we were just sniffing, sniffing that iTunes number one spot. I don't know if we got to number one, but when we're we're fighting, clawing, and new listeners are coming in, enjoying and celebrating the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, that is why, that is why I call myself the Jake LaMotta of podcasting, because round eight... Round nine, round 10, even round 11 and 12. Those are great rounds. Those are tough rounds. But the championship podcasting rounds are round 13, round 14, and then the coveted round 15. Deep, 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 deep into the the dark, deep, treacherous waters. Round 14, round 15. That's where we take you on the I am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, and that fucking episode was just monumental. And I think we have a doozy here. If you never heard of Master Ace, you heard his music, okay? The Music Man from Brooklyn, New York, um, been killing it since the symphony with Cool G Rap, Big Daddy Kane, Craig, Craig G, produced by Marley Marl. Um, to all his solo shit, to Jeep ass N word, to just so many fucking bangers, banger after consistent, retired, came back into the game. And we talk about, uh, you know, this new record that they, they put out together, Marco Polo and, uh, Mass Days produced by Marco Polo who's another dude who's make, been making dope ass shit for years, worked with everybody, everybody from, Sean Price to fucking Talib Kweli, to just everybody. This is just a, a hip-hop lover's delight. We talk about the new album, A Brooklyn Story, um, and what is Brooklyn hip-hop, what is the Brooklyn sound, and so much more. That's coming up later on. Uh, but Carmelo Anthony, it has been announced. It's, it's, it's moments away. By the time this I Am Rapport Stereo podcast drops, I actually have the... The computer in front of me, and I usually don't have that because I, I, it's all but inevitable that Carmelo Anthony is going to be cut from the Houston Rockets. The, the Houston Rockets, who, who, who are led by, of course, James Harden and his good friend, CP3. I believe they played on Olympic teams together, world game teams together. They've traveled the world together. You, you could look up. Vacation photos of Chris Paul, LeBron James, D. Wade, and Carmelo Anthony, the famous banana boat picture. And of course, to remind you, Mike D'Antoni was the coach of the Knicks when Carmelo was a a Nick. That didn't work out. I believe uh, Mike D'Antonio shaved his mustache while coaching the Knicks. That fucking mustache hasn't been back since. And, And you know, Mike... Dan Antonio, and I know I said his name three different ways since I said Mike Dan Antonio uh, on this show. 
I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Dan Antonio? Dan Antoni? Dan and whatever the fuck you know who the fuck I'm talking about. The coach. You know he said to Chris Paul and James Harden, who's younger, he's not friends with these guys. You know he 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 asked him, James, are you cool with Carmelo? And James is probably like, uh, if CP says he's cool, uh, I'm cool with it. You know, I don't I don't give a shit. But you know, Dan Antoni said, CP, you know, I can't stand this motherfucker. This happened in the summer. This is a conversation that happened that no one is reporting. But Dan Antoni said, Chris Paul, you know, I can't stand that motherfucker. He got me fired from the Knicks. I don't like him. I don't like coaching him. I've never liked him. If we bring this motherfucker here, is he going to acquiesce? Is he going to be a role player? And CP must have had a conversation with Carmelo. And he said to Dan Antoni, I got you, coach. He's ready to, he's ready to win. He just wants to win a championship. He's not going to cause any fucking problems. You know this was a conversation that happened. Chris Paul is a Hall of Famer. He's the, the point guard. He's the floor general. And lo and behold, 10 games into the season, the Houston Rockets are now going to cut this motherfucker. The Oklahoma City Thunder, one and done. It didn't work out. Russell Westbrook's like, fuck you. Paul George is like, I'll sign if this motherfucker doesn't sign. And I got to say, I have stood by Carmelo Anthony. I've been a fan with since he was in Denver. Been loyal since he was a Nick. But while there is, when there is smoke, there's fires. Shout out to all the people who have suffered in California from the fires, by the way. I don't even know if that's a good reference today. I'm going to take that reference out. Keep it in, Miles, but, but I'm taking it out. I am, I am uh, recusing that reference from this podcast because so many people are suffering from the fires in, in Malibu, in Northern California, in the valley out there. Um, so many people have lost their lives uh, so many people have lost their homes, which I couldn't even imagine how devastating that is to lose every single thing in your home. And one of the big misconceptions is that uh, Malibu is just celebrities. That's not true. And Malibu is all just the rich. First of all, the fire has affected uh, more than just Malibu. Second of all, Malibu, uh, yes, there is a lot of celebrities and there's a lot of wealthy people, but that's not the whole community. If you've ever been out there and, and driven around, there's so many working class people uh, a regular people that just live out there that are from out there whose houses are destroyed and devastated. Um, so uh, uh, my thoughts uh, go out to all the people who have suffered in one way or another. I have plenty of people who've been evacuated. I have plenty of people who've had to, uh, they don't know the, the status of their homes yet. As of recording this, I am rap stereo podcast, the firemen, the first responders, Bethany Frankel, all the people that are donating, uh, that, are, that are rushing to help uh, everybody who's been affected, um, and the people, obviously, who have been, uh, whose houses have just burned down to the ground, who's, who've lost animals. Couldn't even fucking imagine. I couldn't even fucking imagine. A a California right now is just smoke everywhere, ash everywhere. Um, but with Carmelo Anthony, it's just been one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another, one team after another, one situation after another. And, and because of his 
greatness and because of his star power, and I think because he's good friends with LeBron James, D-Wade, and CP3. Obviously, D-Wade and LeBron James are untouchable. Never heard any bad words about them uh, that, are, that are, you know, true. You know, CP just went through his little, you know, uh, shit with uh, different people shitting on him. But you know what I'm saying. This is like the, the creme de la creme of the NBA. Uh, Carmelo's been protected, but, but it's fucking over. I don't know where he's going to go. And yes, uh, there was games when Chris Paul was uh, suspended, and there were a couple of games when James Harden was hurt that Carmelo hit. This is just two weeks ago. 28 points, 23 points, 20 points, 24 points in a four-game stretch. Obviously, he could still score, but something just ain't right. Uh, I'll say it again. To quote the great Keith Sweat, something just ain't fucking right. And I imagine that Chris Paul and LeBron have had conversations like Chris Paul's probably like, yo, what's up with this motherfucker? And LeBron's like, what do you mean? We vacationed in Saint-Tropez. We, we had the private yacht in the Caribbean. And, and Chris Paul's like, yeah, I know. He's fucking great vacation buddy. He, I love traveling with him. But as a fucking teammate, he sucks. And LeBron's like, what are you talking about? I played with him on the Olympic team and the world game. He goes, yeah, those games don't count. It's Olympics. It's the world games. We beat those teams by 40. It's the non-issue. LeBron's like, I don't understand. You know, I love, I love Carmelo. And Chris Paul's like, well, motherfucker, you never played with him. And neither have I. But these 10 games, these three weeks have been a fucking nightmare. And LeBron is like, I don't understand. And then they get Dwayne Wade on the, the, the three-way phone call. And like, Dwayne Wade's like, what's going on, CP3? And CP3 is like, D. Wade, your man is a fuck-up. He's a total fuck-up. And D. Wade is like, what are you talking about? We traveled to Spain together. Remember? The four of us and the wives. He goes, I know, I know. Don't you think I, I vouch for him to coach Dan Antoni? Or Dan Antonio, whatever the fuck his name is? And D-Wade is like, I think it's Dan Antoni. And LeBron is like, I think it's Dan Antonio. And CP's like, whatever the fuck his name is. He's making me look bad. I've dealt with enough this year. I got Rondo talking shit. I got that fucking half fucking mongoloid, big baby Davis talking shit. I'm trying to fix my reputation. And he's not helping it. And D-Wade D is like, well, what you going to do? And LeBron's like, yeah, what the fuck you going to do? And he's like, CP3's like, we're going to cut this motherfucker. And D-Wade's like, well, you know he's going to try to come to the Lakers. And LeBron's like, no, 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 fuck that shit. We already got enough fucking problems. I don't know how this is going to end. This is me talking, not D-Wade, LeBron, or CP3. Uh, Chris Broussard, who is my favorite guy to talk about the NBA, Thinks he should retire. Why would you retire? He's like 34 years old. He just put up 28 points the other day in Brooklyn or versus Brooklyn. I, I just don't see how this is going to end well. He just got, I don't know, $192 million. But, you know, you're 34 years old. Listen, see, I am Rapport Stereo Podcast. He might be 35. I have no fucking idea. Um, but why would he retire? But I don't think any team is going to pick him up. He must be that much of a motherfucker to deal with. 
to be that good, to be that iconic, and uh, to have no team to not be able to know, like, yo, I'm not the main dude. Of course you're not the fucking main dude. James Harden just won MVP. You never won MVP. You're 34, 35 years old. You're trying to reinvent yourself as Hoodie Mellow. That was a fucking disaster. Anyway, I don't care. I don't give a shit. I'm going to be honest. I sent my brother, Professor Eric Rappaport, and his daughter to the garden the other day. Okay? I bought tickets, those fucking tickets, to go into Madison Square Garden to watch the New York Knicks. The fucking New York Knicks. I fuck with Fisdale. That's my guy. I fuck with the young talent, whatever. It was a Sunday night game. Uh, the New York Knicks versus the Orlando Magic. Who, uh, again, yeah, they're young. Mo Bamba, I get it. Blah, blah, blah. Aaron Gordon. Fucking tickets were ridiculously expensive. And Aaron Gordon didn't even play. That's my fucking guy. So I'm sitting there watching the game at home, trying to catch my brother, Professor Rappaport, and his daughter on the TV. You know, so I could take a picture like, hey, guys, you're on TV. The Knicks are getting fucking blown out by 25 points by the end of the first quarter. And I'm thinking to myself, I just pissed away all this money. The Knicks are getting blown out by 25 points. It's my niece's first game in Madison Square Garden. My brother, they're sitting there right in the fucking front. I spent my hard-earned money. And I go, what an asshole I am for spending my fucking money to send them to see the Orlando fucking Magic with Aaron Gordon not playing. And I gave James Dolan my fucking money. I have no idea why I brought that up or what it has to do with this I Am Rapport Stereo podcast, but I feel like I'm a sucker for sending them to see that game. Can you imagine sitting through the Orlando Magic with no Aaron Gordon? I get it, Mo Bamba. His name's fun to say. There's a song called Mo Bamba. Big fucking deal. 19 years old. God doesn't know how to play basketball yet. Yeah, he's from Harlem. I fuck with him. Harlem World, stand up. Uptown, uptown. I get it. But if you knew how much I spent on those fucking tickets, they should have given my, my, my money back. I hope they got out of it. Did you get a t-shirt at the game? Yeah. They gave you a t-shirt? Yeah. How'd you get a t-shirt? They threw it at us. And you got a t-shirt? Yeah. All right, well, at least they got a fucking t-shirt. I am Rappaport Podcast. There's a recount in Florida going on. Uh, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work out. These, these voting machines are dog shit. Um, as I said the other day, uh, it doesn't seem that complicated to come up with one unified uh, f- fail-proof, or is it fall-proof, fail-proof, in, uh, not international because it's national, national voting system with one national voting system machine. Turns out that uh, the shut up and vote campaign that I uh, created and it was heading uh, worked a little bit, but not that much. Apparently only 30 percent, 30, 30, 30% of millennials voted, which I guess is the most they've ever voted before. It was the most that uh, the most voted upon midterm election ever yet. And still there's recounts. 
There might be one in Georgia. One in Florida is going down right now that's going to take a week. I don't get it. This shouldn't take a fucking week. 2018. This should take 24, 48 hours at most. You got motherfuckers. They're, they're, they're literally counting votes the same way they count bingo cards at church bingo. In 2018, motherfuckers are hand counting the votes to figure out what's what, who won, and who lost. Now, you know we're not going to do a deep dive into uh, politics here, but this young, I don't know what, what the most interesting thing about this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the, only, the most interesting thing I find, find out about her is her teeth. She's got big fucking teeth, this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, she's been uh, in the news lately. She's been in the news since she got elected. Apparently, she says she's from the Bronx, but then they're saying she's not from the Bronx. I don't know. There's something about her I don't trust. She's a democratic socialist, the youngest woman ever elected to Congress, blah, blah, blah. Save all that shit for the movies. She's got big fucking teeth. Uh, she's a nice-looking lady. But apparently she was shamed because she can't afford rent. She can't afford to rent any apartment in Washington, D.C. before her job starts in January. Okay. Uh, you know, people were making fun of her and all this stuff. And then she was saying this is a reflection of the country. Hey, listen, I don't know what the fuck you were doing before you were elected. If your job and them checks don't come in till January, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Airbnb? fuck are you complaining about I don't, I don't understand how this is a big story or how she all of a sudden she's a victim and she's the face of listen you never did anything in politics before you're the youngest woman elected to congress ever uh, maybe get a fucking job get a second job since you're all about uh, socialism and for the people and all that shit do a GoFundMe. i'm sure you'll raise tons of fucking money she'll go corrupt I give her two, three years before they find out something fishy about her. They've already dug up some dirt about her. There's something I don't like about her. And the teeth are just the beginning of it. Emily, do you know this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, character? No. And she don't even know her. She's a millennial herself. She's 18. My final uh, comment on politics is a former I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast Sick Fuck of the Week winner. You remember this guy? Denver Riggleman, remember him? He's a Republican guy down in uh, Virginia. He was a sick fuck of the week, I'd say about mm, six to eight months ago um, because it, was, it came out that this sick fuck had a, a hot, hot fetish, a pang for Bigfoot erotica. You remember this freak? You know what I'm talking about? Look him up. Listen to the old episodes. This guy had a, a ping. Him and his wife, they got off on Bigfoot erotica. I mean, I, I don't know how that could get anybody off. I don't know how that, that could be something that you find sexually uh, arousing for anybody. But this fuck, even after being shamed on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, a certified I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, sick fuck of the week award winner, and Bigfoot erotica fiend 
He's a fiend for that Bigfoot erotica. He, he won the open congressional seat in Virginia last Tuesday. Can you believe, and you know the person he, he, he beat? Leslie Cockburn. That's her name, Leslie Cockburn. Denver Riggleman, this former I Am Rapport sick fuck of the week. And if you ever need uh, any information on uh, Bigfoot erotica, you now can reach out to your local congressman in Virginia. It, 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 guy's got a, it's a one-stop shop down there in Virginia. So as I told you, I am uh, back in New York. One of, one of the, the mantras and themes of the, the I Am Rappaport Stereo podcast, and I know I used to discuss it a lot, and I haven't discussed it lately, is my favorite sandwich of all time, uh, the iconic staple of New York, the, the bagel, cream cheese, and lox. Um... And I know in the first uh, probably 50, 60 episodes, I think I discussed bagel, cream cheese, and lox maybe once an episode. And then I have to be honest, I've stayed away from trying to eat bagel, cream cheese, and lox because you can't eat it every day because then you will inevitably become a fat, cholesterol-filled fuck. And I'm trying to avoid that path, that downward spiral. But! But my brother, the other day, he did the uh, right thing. He did his, his brotherly duty, and he went to uh, our Upper East Side. It's my favorite bagel place in all of New York. Now, now this is a very hot topic. Everybody gets very passionate and territorial, and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. There's this place out in Coney Island. It's fucking great. You fucking assholes in Manhattan, you don't know about this fucking bagel place out in Coney Island. It's been out here 112 fucking years. You jerk offs don't know. I got it. I'm not I'm not going out to Coney Island just to get your bagel, Duke. I'm sure it's great, Duke. I'm not I'm not taking the motherfucking train, cab, Uber, all the way out to motherfucking CI to try that bagel. From that bagel shop that's been there 112 years. And then there's motherfuckers in the Bronx like, yo, you got to come up to the BX. There's fucking bagels up here. It's a fuck you two. Fuck you guys out in Queens with your bagels. The best bagel in money-making Manhattan, as far as I'm concerned, I have a full Jewish palate that tells me this is the best. And I've tried a lot of them. I know Essa Bagel downtown on the lower uh, east side, Stuyvesant Town. People rave about that. Eh, fucking thing is like a donut. The iconic bagel, cream cheese, and locks from the Upper East Side, which, by the way, is filled with Ashkenazi Jews. We have a nose and, and a gift for understanding and appreciating bagels, cream cheese, and locks. There's a Hasidic place two blocks away from mine, from my apartment that opened up. It's fine. It's a fine, it's a good bagel, cream cheese, and lox. It's like a professional bagel, cream cheese, and lox, the same way the Orlando Magic are a professional NBA team. But if you want the Golden State Warriors, okay, if you want the 
New England Patriots. And you're like, oh, I fuck with the Patriots. I'm saying the best of the best, motherfucker. If you want the best, the current best of the best bagel, cream cheese, and lots, you take your ass to 82nd, between 83rd and 2nd Avenue, you get yourself to H&H Bagels, and you get yourself a toasted everything bagel or whatever your preference is. That's how I like it. I like the toasted everything bagel with cream cheese, and if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go in hard body Karate, you say, oh, I would like some extra locks. And they say, that costs more. I go, I know it costs more, asshole. I don't expect you to give me extra locks for free, asshole. I understand it costs more. I've been fucking asking for the extra locks for 15 years, motherfucker. Every time I ask for the extra locks, you say it costs more. I don't expect it for free. It's the freshest fish the tastiest fish in the world. I know if you're going to give me a little bit extra, I got to pay you dumb fuck you. Get your toasted everything bagel with the cream cheese, extra lox, one slice of tomato, a little bit of onions, and some capers, and you sit back and you eat that fucking piece of art, and you chew it, and you enjoy it slow. Now, your, your, your temptation will be to just Eat it like it's jelly beans or M&M's. It ain't jelly beans, M&M's. It ain't even a slice of pizza. This is fine fish. Nova Scotia fish. Emily, your mom, mm-hmm. uh, she makes Gravlox. My, uh, my niece's uh, mother, my uh, sister-in-law, they make the fucking Gravlox. My brother does it. Matter of fact, well, I don't think I have enough time. My niece, she knows that fucking locks. You don't eat it like a slice. It ain't a fucking hot dog. It ain't a grilled cheese sandwich. It ain't fucking Big Mac. This ain't Burger King. You eat that motherfucker slow. You think about life. You think about the good, the bad, the ugly. You get sentimental when you eat a great bagel cream cheese and locks. That's just my suggestion on how to do it. If you eat it too fast, you are going to miss it when it is gone. Trust me, my friend. Oh yeah, trust me. I am Rappaport Podcast. Ah, what else is going on? I talked about these podcasts the other day. I'm uh, li- we're listening to these two podcasts, three, three other podcasts. The Aaron Hernandez podcast on uh, from the Boston Globe. Yo, that shit is crazy. Um, and then Serial Season 3. I like these. They're like Murder Doc. It's like Murder Doc and Chill. They're like crime, true crime podcast. Aaron Hernandez, of course, I highly recommend that podcast. It's called Gladiator. And then Serial Season 3 takes place in Cleveland. And it's sort of the, the, the home, the base of the podcast is the Cleveland, downtown Cleveland courthouse. And it follows these cases and these judges. And it'll follow the judge outside of, you know, the, you know like what they're like. And they're just, it's, it's great. It's like, it's like fantastic episodes of 60 Minutes 
or Vice, whatever the fuck you're into. Uh, or, or like Making of a Murderer on Netflix, um, uh, which I'm going to go to. I watched season two of that, 10 hours of that fucking shit this weekend. It could have been in four hours. I mean, it, in hindsight, it was really good, but it's just not the same thing. If you watch Making, Making of a Murderer season one, you can watch season two, but just know it's not the same thing. It's the same case, same story, same characters, uh, but it's not the same thing. Uh, it's not the same satisfying thing. It's a different kind of satisfying. It's, it's really good, but it's just different. Um, but there's other uh, podcasts I'm listening to called In the Dark, who I actually uh, was recommended to this by uh, Gorilla Tooth Gary Delabonte from the Howard Stern Show. You know, uh, Baba Booey, Big Tooth Gary. I'm tripping out off of it. I'm on episode eight, and I believe there's 10 episodes, and I'm bugging out off this episode, this this podcast called In the Dark. It's another, you know, real crime, true crime documentary that follows the case of this one guy who was convicted and sentenced to murder. He was convicted of killing four people and sentenced to murder and it got overturned six fucking times. Lo and behold, it's a black dude, shocking, in a majority, well now it's not majority, it's a 60% white, 40% black Mississippi town. It's, it's close to the town, they explore all this, and I just listened to another episode last night, it fucked my head up. The close to the town where Emmett Till the young man, a young black man who was killed, I think, in the 30s or 40s uh, because he was accused of flirting with a white woman. Later on, it turned... And the, the, the people that killed him in the nearby courthouse that the same case takes place in were found not guilty. It's crazy. But, but this documentary, In the Dark, the Aaron Hernandez documentary, uh, Gladiator... In the Dark Season 2. Now, now, now I'm saying In the Dark Season 2. I've said it, I think, three to four times. Now, now, do me a favor. Don't fucking DM me and say, Yo, Mike Rapp, I'm listening to In the Dark uh, Season 1, and, and, and I don't hear any... I said, I see, because I said In the Dark Season 2. I said In the Dark Season 2. Now, I think I've said it five times. Don't DM me later on saying... Yo, what was the name of that podcast? I'm saying it now. If you're listening to the podcast, the I Am Rap Poor Stereo podcast, take some fucking notes. I'm giving you jewels. I'm giving you fucking jewels. Anyway, all three of those are dope. Um, and Making of a Murderer Season 2, uh, which I spent 10 hours on, honestly, again, it was good. I didn't need to. And you say, well, why don't you stop watching it? I was fucking too too far down the rabbit hole to turn it off. But I feel like it could have been 10 hours that could have taken place in four, five at the most. I know we didn't have anything to do with it, but it, this is great. Um, it turns out the Staten Island, which, listen, uh, not much has come out of uh, Staten Island. You know, they filmed Godfather on Staten Island, the movie Godfather. That's where Michael Corleone's home was. Um... It's infamously the home and resting spot to a lot of gangsters in New York. Um, of course, the Wu-Tang Clan uh, is from Staten Island. 
Um, and other than that, I don't know what else to big up Staten Island for. No disrespect to Staten Island, but I'm just, I'm just being honest. Um, they are making a Wu-Tang Clan day, uh, which is only right. Wu-Tang Clan should have a fucking week. They should have Wu-Tang week in Staten Island. Wu-Tang put fucking Staten Island on the fucking map. A lot of people born and raised in New York didn't even know that Staten Island was part of the five boroughs until Wu-Tang came out. Uh, So that's a big deal, and I I think it's overdue, but, you know, good it's happening, and it's good to happen on the 25th anniversary of Enter the 36 Chambers. Um, Finally, before I get to this hip-hop, yo, trust me when I tell you that you're going to love this interview with Marco Polo, producer and Master Ace MC veteran from Brooklyn, New York, so many gems. Both of them talk on Brooklyn hip-hop, the making of Crooklyn Dodgers. Q-Tip actually produced that song. Remember that song, Crooklyn Dodgers? From the Spike Lee joint, Crooklyn, with Special Ed, Buckshot Shorty, and and Master Ace. Those were the three MCs on that song. The making of that, the making of the symphony, the making of Brooklyn Story. Marco Polo talks about Working as a producer with large professor Rakim, Talib, Kwali, Sean Price. They both speak on Sean Price. This is a hip-hop and music lover's delight. Trust me. Trust me uh, when I tell you. The shit's fucking unedited. We didn't even need to edit anything. There's no cuts in this fucking interview. It's just We just flowed and rocked. Um, Marvel Comics... Co-creator, Stan Lee, which is, I think, is a funny name, Stan Lee, because, you know, you think his name's Stan Lee, like, you know, Stan Lee, uh, who was born and raised in the Boogie Down Bronx, in Washington Heights, in New York, a New Yorker, the great Stan Lee who created Black Panther, Spider-Man, fucking created Spider-Man. Iron Man, the Thor, the Hulk, the Avengers, all of it. All of it. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, that's genius shit. He's also a veteran. Uh, It was Veterans Day this weekend. Uh, Veterans Day on Monday, Sunday. Uh, But this guy, I mean, yo, the, the, uh, the word genius is thrown around. Yo, this guy, this is a fucking genius. Like... To come up with that shit, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Black Panther, the Avengers, and, and probably more. I'm not a comic book guy. I don't fuck with comic books. I don't read them. I don't like the way they smell. Okay? I don't like any of those movies. I, I, I saw uh, the Hulk. Nope. Uh, Black Panther. Yeah, it was cool. I, I don't fuck with superheroes. I talked about it a lot. Spider-Man, I don't give a fuck which one of them is doing it. Tobey Maguire, the other assholes, I don't give a fuck. Could give two shits. Iron Man, the only fucking Iron Man I like is uh, Ghostface Killer. Okay? Tony Starks. I like, I like Ghostface Killer as Tony Starks. I don't like Robert Downey. I don't know what's happening in those movies. 
I find them confusing. The Avengers, I'd rather fucking watch paint dry. That's just me. I know I'm in the minority. I know I'm in the fucking minority. Okay, but I'm acknowledging his greatness. Passed away at 95 years old. He's been getting tributes since he's passed all over social media, television, a true blue American icon, a true blue creator. One of the things that's not being discussed about Stan Lee is that fucking OG first generation plug job that he got. He must have been the first dude to get a hair transplant because, listen, no disrespect. No disrespect, but Stan Lee's been walking around for the last 30 years with a very, very bizarre hair situation. Uh, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But if you peep pictures of him, I don't know what the fuck he had stapled or crazy glued into his head, but it wasn't fucking hair. That being said, uh, rest in peace. You gave the world so, so much pleasure and joy with all these comics. Even though I'm not a fan of them, that's because I'm a miserable fuck. Whatever. I, I Listen, growing up, they had cartoons on the television. Fantastic Four. He's done a lot. Huge. He's from New York. Iconic creator. I get it. Fucking get it. But it's just not for me. It's not fucking for me. And, and growing up when those, com those comic books were on and when those, those, those cartoons were on, me and my brother would share rights to the TV. This was in the days when there's one fucking TV in the house. Sound like a real old piece of shit there when I said this is in the days. The 70s, we had one fucking TV. And we shared the motherfucker. And Monday would be, you could watch your fucking dumbass cartoons. And Tuesday, I want to watch Mr. Rogers. I liked Mr. Rogers. I didn't like the fucking cartoons. That's just me. Never got into it. I don't like Star Wars. Okay? You know how I feel about Game of Thrones? I don't do dungeons, dragons, lightning strikes. None of that shit's for me. It's just not for me. And I put the comic books in the same category. That being said, rest in peace to the great Stan Lee. Now, coming up next, trust me when I tell you, you're going to want to listen to this. The music man from Brooklyn, New York, Master Ace. Marco Polo, producer extraordinaire, talking about their new record, which I fucking love. Dope-ass video, a Brooklyn story. The single is dope. Features Smith & Wesson, also Brooklyn MCs. Coming up next on the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast, Master Ace and Marco Polo. All right. I'm very excited about this Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast with two people that have actually, I realize I've been on... A Marco Polo album. Absolutely. And I've been on a Master Ace record. Album, yes. Um, and uh, before we get into a Brooklyn story, before we get into some questions specifically for you, Mark, and for you, Ace, 25th anniversary, Enter the 36 Chambers and Midnight Marauders came out. Mm. Didn't Biggie's first album drop the same day as well? No. No? Those two records came out on the same fucking day 25 years ago. So just as fans. Amazing. Just what do you remember? What do you like the relevance of it? I mean, it's, you know, when you think about like golden era, like that's a golden fucking day. 93, man. 36 Chambers, first of all, came out of nowhere. I don't know about other people, 
But for me, like, Protect Your Neck, that first single, that, that came out of nowhere. I was like, what is this? Um, and I knew RZA because RZA used to go to the same studio as me, Firehouse Studios. And me and Genius, Jizza used to be signed to the same label at one point, Cold Chillin'. So I knew all those guys. But that record came out of nowhere. And it was it was honestly at the same time as the West Coast was killing it with, you know, the Chronic. And that was like this super crystal clear, like perfectly EQ'd, you know, radio friendly sounding record. And then here comes Wu-Tang with 36 Chambers, the grimiest, gutteriest, grungiest sounding production. And it just like put the stamp on the fact that this is New York and this is how we do it. We, we, we Timberland boots and baggy ass jeans all day. From a production perspective, those are two monumental albums. What RZA was doing, what Q-Tip and Ali were doing with the production. I remember hearing Electric Relaxation for the first time. Mm. Um, whew, like those, those are just staples. Those we always talk about Mount Rushmore. Those could be on the Mount, my Mount Rushmore of albums, um, influence-wise. Being from Toronto, especially because those are East Coast sounding albums, um, incredible. So, yes, it is a monumental day. All right. A Brooklyn story. I love, love this song. You know, my, for me, me, me personally, you have two reactions to a song the first time you hear it. Sometimes it doesn't, it's like a food, like, oh, it's good. I'm going to eat the rest of the thing on my plate. And then there's other times, for me, when you hear a song literally the first time, you're like, yo, what is this? <laughs> and I had that reaction. I said that to you on, uh, in the DMs, um, Ace, and... First of all, I sincerely think, I don't know how this shit works, that song needs to be pushed and put up for a Grammy. I know you guys like, fuck the Grammys. Who gives a fuck about a goddamn Grammy? But it's such a beautiful, <laughs> sentimental, um, and, I, and I'm trying to think of the right word, because uh, you, you said you think it's a smacker, and I was like, hell yeah, it's a fucking smacker. But <laughs> yeah, I did since, ask him that. <laughs> since, since, you, since you said that, I was like trying to like think of what it is about that song, knowing that uh, I was going to meet you uh, and talk about it. I find it to be, I'm calling it a boom bap sentimental smacker mm. because there's a sentimental... Yeah, it's emotion to it. Nostalgic quality. Yeah, there's definitely emotion to it. And I told Marco when we were making this record, when he started you know, creating beats for the record, he's like, I was like, yo, I know you're known for all that, you know, that, you know, baseball bat in the head fucking <laughs> shit. <laughs> but I need some I need some some. you gotta put a little bit more emotion like give me some more emotional records and tr tracks and so he started he delivered man like he, he's known for those joints those those you know the rusty jukes the Torrey the screw face the ugly face the punch Scrunch punch face. somebody in the nose in the middle of the dance floor joints a lot of aggression and and, and that's cool but I wanted something that ha I wanted some records that had a little bit more emotion and so Yo, Marco went in and he created these joints that, that had emotion and Brooklyn is just one of them. Specifically with that song, how does it work? You, you've made, I don't know, over a hundred, hundreds of songs, hundreds of beats that didn't make it. I mean, Absolutely. You, you, you've been doing it for so long. Ace, you've been doing it for so fucking long. Specifically on Brooklyn Story, on the, the title to the new album, which is also dropping 11-9-2018, uh, um, how does it work? Do you make that beat? Do you know you want to do a song called uh, Brooklyn Story? Do you know, like, do you have a hook? Talk to me for, from both of you guys, like, how it worked. What came first? 
I think the the plan for this record was, and Ace can correct me, I don't necessarily know if he had all the songs in his mind. I think basically how it happens is I go into a particular musical zone, like Ace said. I need to make blank canvases because Ace is very good at painting pictures with his lyrics. It's one of his strong points. Emotional stuff. So I had to find that balance between my hardcore drums and finding musical samples that invoke emotion. And when I went there, I would send it to him. He would say yes, no. He would put the ones aside. We, if, you know, we made a list of beats. These are the ones going to be on the album. And I think over time, he rides around with them, and he gets inspired to come up with whatever he comes up with. Is that more That's or less? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because I had a lot of these beats he sent me a while ago. Like, I want to say I had that Brooklyn beat for about four months or something like that. I had a few of his beats like for about four months straight where I had no plan for the beat. I just wanted to play it, play the instrumental, drive with it and see what came to me. And, you know, um, when it came, when it was time to, for me to start thinking you about that You say drive to beat, it literally? Like literally drive around with the instrumental playing. That's, a, that's how, like that's something like you said. That's, yeah. I find that my most creative uh, moments happen when I'm doing something other than trying to create. So I wash dishes, clean up the house, and put the beat on in the background. I go to the gym and work out with the beat on. Like that's how that's how I worked on some of my previous albums. I used to have the CD, the CD Walkman, the CD <laughs> the Walkman, disc man. the Discman, and headphones on, doing my workout in the gym, listening to the beat over and over again. And that's how I come up with my ideas, man. That's dope. Yeah. So the beat came first. Yes, when I like when I just when I found that sample, I was just really conscious of being super picky for Ace because I know when he hears it, he got to feel something. So it has to be special. So when I was making beats for this album, I would just listen to stuff and I was like, "Whoa, that makes me feel something." Uh -huh. I would turn it into a beat. Now there was something I read uh, about the sample. I mean, the, the state of sampling, like. You since your tenure and Ace, you've been through the whole fucking thing when it was the wild, wild west where you could do whatever you want. Yeah, so they yeah. were like De La Soul and bizzed you I mean, and shut yeah. the whole shit down. Yeah, yeah. Where is sampling at now? Uh, from your perspective, Marco, and from your perspective, Ace, um, you know, is is it harder or is it or is it easier or like where are we at with sampling? Yeah, I think yeah. it's a bit of both. It's turned into such a business now. A lot of these old companies that own the publishing are, are aware. They see the money being made, so they're very aware. Some of them are playing ball and saying, you know what? Sample us. We're going to work it out. We're going to give you a good rate on the split, and others will still charge you out the ass. So sometimes to avoid that headache, now I have the option to buy incredible music for a one-time fee. We call it royalty-free, like I did with Brooklyn. I used the piano. I gave the guy, I don't know, $45 for the kit. And now we have a song we can use with no problems as sounds like a sample because it is a sample. What does that mean, uh, the kit? Okay, so say uh, I play piano and I'm dope. I'll make 15 pieces of me playing piano and I will sell them as wave files to a producer. And they will buy them. They will give me a one-time fee. And now they can use all this music however they want in any way they see fit and... Will I will never chase them for money after the $45. And so that... Din, 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 din. The piano is from the kit. It was like a very neo-soul, jazzy piano-themed kit, which is perfect for you know the type of things I was looking for for this record. So it just worked out. Ace with the sampling? No, I... I just got onto this. Like I just found out about this, this stuff. This is that a he's new doing. movement, by the way. But this is very it, new. To me, it's ingenious. You know, um, the idea of getting royalty free stuff because it gets tricky i mean i've been i've been living by the old rules for since ever like 
literally like up to now, like not really being careful, not clearing it. I haven't cleared a, re- a record in since since I was on a major. We just go for it. We <laughs> we just throw it and in me there. Me and Ace have both been hit with lawsuits yeah, in yeah. the past. I, I mean, I've gotten <laughs> we've gotten stepped to a couple of times for little samples or whatever, but um, you know, we're not selling millions of records, so it's not like exactly going to be worth it for them to get lawyers uh. and do all of that. Like um, once they see what the numbers are, they go, oh, okay. You know, and it's, a couple of times we've had to settle for a few grand or whatever with people. But for the most part, man, we, you know, we kept it obscure and we just did it. The song, uh, The Sound of Brooklyn, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's my bad impression of singing. <laughs> <The sound laughs> of, you should, why didn't you hire me to be the backup singer, like featuring Michael Rapp? We need to get sing. you on the remix, bro. The Sound of Brooklyn. <laughs> that's my yes. audition. Um, Ace. You're so synonymous with with Brooklyn. You're born and raised yeah. Brownsville, Brooklyn. Straight up. And and I know this is sort of an all over question, but in 2018, in the history of hip hop, uh, and and I want to get your answer too because you're you're a Brooklynite. You're you're an implanted Brooklynite. But we'll, we'll get to that. Yes. You're Canadian Brooklynite. Right. But Ace, you're fucking born, bred. Yes. Brownsville, Brooklyn. Yep. What is in terms of hip hop, because I don't want to go off on other shit. What is the sound of Brooklyn? Just talk about that in in, in however whatever terms that conjures up. Because it's when you name different MCs in the song, I'm like, yeah. it, it's like the sound of Brooklyn could be you know fucking MOP, which yep. is certainly isn't this song. Right. The sound of Brooklyn could be Biggie, it could be Kane, it could be MC like exactly. there's over that's a Sonic. So yes. as a, as a native Brooklynite and who's proud Brooklynite, Mastase, what is the sound of Brooklyn? To me, Brooklyn is like it's like Baskin Robbins. It's like thirty-one flavors. Like you can go to different neighborhoods and get different vibes, different feels. You can go Williamsburg, Dumbo. You can go Brownsville, Best Star. You can go Crown Heights. You can go East New York, and they all kind of have a different feel and have different rules and different ways that you can and can't move in certain areas. And to me, you know, it's it's really the the amalgamation of all these different artists, the ones you named, and 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 many many others, um, Black Moon, and and down the list of artists that have come from 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 Brooklyn. We all make up this tree with all of these branches and all these leaves, and it's just a big, beautiful, colorful tree. And I'm just one of the leaves on one of the branches on that on that tree. I, I like that. I like that, Marco. I don't know if I could beat that answer, but I'll come at it from a Canadian growing up, listening to my favorite groups from Brooklyn, like Boot Camp or Ace, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, for me, it was when the artists were painting pictures of all these messed up hoods they were growing up. You know what I'm saying? It was like a feeling, and I'm like living in the suburbs in Toronto, not even producing yet, and it puts you in a world. So when I finally moved here and got a chance to see some of it, like I remember moving to New York, being uncomfortable at rap shows, being a skinny white kid, like is, is something going to happen? You know, it's changed so much, and I actually kind of miss that feeling some Sometimes uh, I know and, what you mean, and I put that into the music when I first moved here. It's an energy I can't describe it. You know what I'm saying? It's the birthplace. When you're not from here, you respect it a little bit more because this is where it all started. You know what I'm saying? So I just try and channel that energy into it and kind of interpret it my way. So yeah. Well, Ace, you you know since you're you're so deep in Brooklyn, uh, 
What is what is your opinion of Brooklyn now? Like you know, <laughs> Williams. I mean, fucking Williams. Like if we knew what we knew in the nineties, I would have been buying blocks. No shit, no shit. I, <laughs> I, I, I kicked my fucking self in there. I remember walking around Williamsburg in ninety three. Like this is this is what is this shit? Right, it's like fucking factories and shit. <laughs> factories and like fucking white. It had like white trash in Brooklyn. Like it was like another kind. It wasn't like you know like Italians and it was like some other shit. Yeah. It was like I think they were like underground meth. K2 freaks out in Williams. It was like zombie land out there. Yeah. So what is your take as a Brooklynite on, on where it is? What's the good and the bad of it 2018? I like the fact that um, I can go and find a vegan meal in Brooklyn. That's not something that I could have ever conceptualized <laughs> or even a vegetarian spot. Like That's not something that I could have conceptualized. To go to a juice bar, you know, shout to Styles P, Juices for Life, and Best um, I love that Brooklyn has kind of evolved, you know, into, um, it evolved into a city that, that, that reminds me of places that I visited when I was overseas or in other cities and states where I go, man, I wish, you know, I wish I had a place like this where I, where I'm from, but they didn't have nothing like that. So it's turning into that. So that's the good. I, I love the restaurants. I love the the energy. You know, they got, they, they got a damn Apple store in fucking downtown Brooklyn. That's I tell crazy. you what, my coffee got a lot better with this whole. They got an Apple store my downtown. Coffee is stupendous right now in Brooklyn, Fort Greene. But there's a little part of me. There's a little part of me, to be honest, that kind of misses a little bit of that danger that Brooklyn that Brooklyn mm -hmm. had. You know, um, there was a time when you wouldn't see a white person on foot on Myrtle Avenue ever they would never be in that Fort Green Park ever and then all of a sudden you drive by to having picnics and walking their dogs oh and jogging God. and it's like okay that's cool it's costume, great that it's they safer had a, a dog costume party in Fort Green Park on Halloween and it's I was right. like man it's, it's different man it's different yeah brother I mean I was in Albee Square Mall when dudes was breaking breaking the jewelry the jewelry store window and doing a snatch and grab now like, it's a food court a now, it's, now it's a nice food court. food court. It's changed, man. You know, I'm gonna say that most of it is positive. I know a, a lot of people don't like the, you know, the, the gentrification part of it, um, because they really have kind of like forced out the the people that were originally there, and mm. and where do they go? You mm -hmm. know, um, a lot of them went to Far Rockaway, where they they they're stuck out there. And I stuff. miss I miss seeing Beach Street Records downtown Brooklyn, things like that. Even for me, I've been here 18 years. I'm from Toronto, but not seeing Beach Street when I go downtown on the record uh, upstairs records. It's it's weird to me. And the sweet, right. it was a, the sweet. We call it the sweet pizza spot. Like a couple couple block over from mm -hmm. from B Street was this little pizza shop that everybody used to go to to get the. the they made their slices. Had, the regular slice was extra cheese. Uh -huh. right. That's how it was, and and they put I guess they put mad sugar in the sauce because the pizza was dumb sweet, but that was the spot. Going sneaker shopping right there on, Yo, on even on, the sneaker shops are starting to fall off too. Yeah, though. yeah, it's, it's yes, it's it's, it's it's weird, man. It's different, man. You know, if an out of towner feels that way, I don't even know how a Brooklynite feels. You know what I'm saying? I've just I've I've just accepted it. I mean, yeah. we got the bar clay now. You just gotta like kind of roll with it. It's it's. It's making it a better city. Um, I wish it just was still affordable for people, yeah. regu regular folks. It's not. That's the white part. It's absolutely outrageous. It's not. It's not affordable for a regular person anymore. Nope. Yeah, that's fucking insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's insane, man. That's crazy shit. Um, the people on the record rattle off some of the people uh, on uh, a Brooklyn story. Uh, people that came in and dropped it's not full of uh guest spots or or uh, what do they call them they have um, a few features. guests features but you it's it, it there's people in there yeah. uh, styles p 
is such a slept on sort of MC. His voice is so distinct. Ghost. And he's yeah. real clean with his with, with, with his with his thoughts. He makes his statements. You understand exactly what he's yeah, talking about. He has those really uh to me entertaining and kind of funny um uh, metaphors that he throws in there. Um I love Styles P and, and I was glad that we got to do and a record together. Record. He's on the record. Uh Elzai is on the Dope. record. Um Feral Monch. Feral right. Monch. Uh Lil Fame. My first collaboration with an MOP member. Lil Fame is on, yeah, on, on Finally the record. Brownsville, different worlds connect. <laughs> yeah. We've been in the business, you know, thirty years for myself, probably what, twenty five for them. And um we never have collab before. I did. I, I didn't know how a collab would work with me and MOP, but it it we figured That's it out. That's a dope and, song and, and, too. And, Count them up. Shouts to Fame. Yeah, I mean Fame and uh, MOP. It's such a when we go to the sound of Brooklyn and Brownsville, it's like, you know, that's like. I mean, they're like, especially they're like eighties, nineties Brownsville. It's like, yeah. yo, you better have your. Yeah. You, you got to keep your fucking head on a, on swivel. a swivel. But that's the type of group me growing up watching. I was like, I'm never going to fucking Brownsville. That shit scares the shit out of me. You know what I'm saying? Should've. But their music, it's still, you know. <laughs> it, it, there was and nothing, now I'm buddies with Fame. There was so. no, there was no, there was no false advertising about Brownsville. That's the no, thing. That's true. There's like they lived up to all the expectations, and wouldn't we say that that's one of the that hasn't fully been there's too uh, many projects gentrified at this point. Brownsville, no, 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 no. Has it's been not, it's not there yet. Think I, it's gonna I, happen, Ace? I'm hearing. I say no. I've they said can't no get rid on. of the projects. It's too many projects. Right. Well, they they can they can start kicking people out and turning them into in the co-ops, but I don't. I, I just think it's too far east for you know uh, the, the the mainstream audience to be traveling. Cause it's too far from the city, so I don't yeah, think that they'll yeah. ever. But they're running out of places to fucking make co-ops and shit. So I just, who knows? Twenty we'll years, see, we'll 20, see. twenty plus from now, we'll maybe. Be like, yeah, Howard House is, uh, you know, the, the soft side. You know, like, like, oh, <laughs> oh you know, the, the, you know that term, of course, yo, oh, you know. <laughs> so all right, um, all right, I want. I forgot my notes. One of the uh, things that I pride myself on the I Am Rapport Stereo podcast is I don't fact check. Uh, but when I'm excited. Um, and, and a little anxious to interview people, I, I write down notes. But I wanted to uh, just, and I don't want to do the full life and times, but I want to throw some songs um, at you, Ace, that you've been a part of, that you've done, and mm -hmm. you tell me the ingredients, and just tell me how it happened. Here's my first question about the symphony. Yep. My questions are this, and you could just, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've asked, been asked this fucking question. My question is this. Was there an order? Where did you record it? Were you all together when you recorded it? Yes, we were all together. We were at Marley's, uh, I want to say it was a two-bedroom apartment in, in Astoria, Queens. Um, and uh, we were all there. Um, and there was no decided order. So much so that, because the song was really going to just be Craig G, uh, G-Rap and Kane. MC Sham was supposed to come. He bailed. He didn't want to be a part of it, so he didn't come. So it was going to be those three. They all wrote their verses, and then Marley was basically leaving it up to them to decide who was going to go in the booth first. Or what well, booth? It wasn't really a booth. It was going in his kitchen where the mic was. And so, are you serious? Yeah, yeah straight up. So um, they were kind of passing the buck. Like Craig was like, "Yo, go ahead, G Rap." Like, "Nah, you, you go. You okay? Yo, go ahead, Kane." And they were just kind of like passing the buck around. Like nobody wanted to. Nope, there was no order. It was literally like, okay, so then so Marley looks at me and goes, Yo, Ace, you got a verse? Like, just warm the mic up. These dudes are acting scared. Like, get in there and just, just lay something down. So I, I didn't write to this beat. I had I, I walked around with 10 to 15 verses in my head, memorized, ready to go at all times. 
you had to in those days. So I was like, I got something. So I went in on the, on the mic first and I spit one of my memorized joints that I had. And right after I went, then Craig was like, oh, I'll go second. And then right after that, G-Rap was like, oh, I'll go. Like, like, but literally, it wasn't like Marley was like, I think you should go and then you should go. It was totally organic the way it happened. Listen closely so your attention's undivided. Many in the past have tried to do what I did. Just the way I came off then, I'm going to come off. Stronger and longer, even with the trouble. I'll keep on going and flowing just like a river. I got a whole lot to give, so I'm a giver. Little at a time, new trails are blazing. Action is in effect and always stays in. Yeah, just like a shot from a cannon. I am the man in charge and I'm planning. A jam strong enough that it can lift your soul. I'm the originator and my rhymes are made of gold. Once you hear the capital A, rap it'll stay with you for a while. It won't go away unless you force it. You fucking my head up with that shit. Cause it yeah. sounds like he wrote it to that beat. That's what fucks nah, me up. That's nah. crazy. It sound it's a marriage. Those yeah. those bars over that beat. So for you to tell me you didn't write to that beat is is blows my mind. Now now you you guys all of you in a two bedroom apartment. Kane is a star at this point, right? No, he, no, he hadn't popped. No. no, he had not popped. He had he didn't have an album out. All he had out was rhyming with Biz. And he had a single, Get Into It. Okay. And um, like his album was about to, 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 to drop, but he hadn't popped yet. Okay. G-Rap? Nope. Nope. Shan was the only star. And Shan didn't show up. Shan didn't show up. So, like, you guys are all around the same. It's like, fuck, I mean, don't you wish fucking Instagram was around them? Like, like what did it? What did the room smell like? <laughs> There's no pictures. This? I wish it was a picture, at least, of that. No, nobody had even the, the, the consciousness to say... We should take a picture of this, this moment. Like, nobody thought about that. There's no pictures of that. So you guys were just in your head making a song. Did you know it was, like, I mean, obviously it took off so quick, the symphony, but did you, when you heard the beat, we were like, yo, this is that shit, or was it? Nah, there- I wasn't. I, honestly, they were writing to it, and I was sitting there going, this beat is not that ill to me. It's, <laughs> it's <crazy>. cool. <laughs> but you, you, remember, you're hearing it right, right, as right. a mixed final product. Right, I was right. hearing it super raw. <laughs> Drums weren't even really pushed up. It was just like mostly piano. I was like, eh, I don't get it, but whatever. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's how I felt. And what do you remember about uh, some of the other guys' process, uh, what they were writing on, like Kane G rap? Like, I, you know, I was interviewing a large professor one time who's right. so fucking hip hop, yeah. who's such a great storyteller. Yeah. And, and he was telling me, I mean, this is exactly what he said. I, he goes, I remember when I was when he was working with Rakim, Eric B and Rakim, he was like, I was in the studio and, you know, Rakim came in and, and you know, he had the two sweatsuits on and he had two cell phones. And back in the days, it was two. He was like, oh, shit. And he goes, and then he took out his jacket and out of his jacket, he had a Ziploc bag. And in the Ziploc bag was his pad. Wow. So he like he had his shit like in a scripture like he had right. the scripture in a Ziploc bag. So what do you remember? Just like like wh- what did you write on? Do you remember like what did Kane like? What do you remember any of that? No, I don't. I again, I didn't write anything because it was this one. Was in it, your was, head. it was one of my memorized joints gotcha. that, I, that I walked around with. But the one thing that I, that I now remember because Kane re, uh, recanted the story one day when we were on the road was that when G Rap went, he said this ridiculous long verse it had to be 60 70 bars he rhymed so long that the two inch reel ran off the tape and stopped (laughs) and marley's like yo we don't got no room for Kane. we gotta you're gonna have to cut that can you cut it like he was trying to figure out a place to cut it like let's end it here and g-rap was like nah fuck it i just say a different one 
And then he said, and then he said, then he said the different rhyme was the rhyme that's That's on the record. So that's 60, 70. I don't even know what that wound up being. It could have wound up on his Wanted Dead or Alive uh, album. If if, I'm not sure what I don't remember that rhyme, so I don't know what he said. But it was how many takes did it take you for your verse? Was that first taker? I don't. I doubt it. I was never really a first take guy. But it might have been because again, there was no plan for me to be on the song. It was really just to get everybody warmed up. So I might have just went in. Because it was memorized, I probably didn't make a big mistake. I probably just ran it down, and then I was like, all right, now now y'all can go. Go. Craig, you go, and whatever, whatever. His plan, I think, was to, you know, just keep me on there until they got their verses in and then cut me out. Mm. And then I, I, I found out that Kane and G-Rap, because when, when, when I started recording it, my verse, Kane was like, yo, let's go to the store. And him and G-Rap left while I was recording <laughs> So they basically were at, w- walking to the store, going, "Yo, what's this, what are you doing with this new dude? Who is this dude? Like, what? What? They didn't hear my rhyme. They were just like, "Yo, yo, what are you doing? I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to do this record. Like, this, this, I don't know. I don't know this cat." So they come back from the store. They hear my verse, and then Kane says, he, he, "Yo, yo, yo, glasses is kind of nice, yo." <laughs> call them glasses. Call, them, call me glasses. Yo, glasses is kind of alright, yo. G rappers, yeah, I came front. So they kind of like together, co-signed me. And and so I think it was their conversation with Marley that wound up keeping me on the song. I lo- I fucking love that. <laughs> I I love that shit. Um, Biz Markey rhyming yes. with Biz. Biz Markey is such a fucking. He's like a, a planet to himself, like a one of a kind. Yes. Totally sort of like unheralded book of knowledge. Biz, just talk to me about Biz and that song rhyming with Biz. And like, I met Biz, at, actually I met Biz at the rooftop mm. in fucking like, I don't know, fucking 89. I was going to say 80 something. And uh, you know, but I mean, I was like, yo, it's fucking Biz Mark. I was like, and I used to see him at the, at the Latin quarters and see him at the uh, Union Square. But he was such a big star and like so unique and like his his voice, his style, like the Biz Marquee dance and like, blah, 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 the beatbox. Talk to me about that song and just... Bismarcky. So my song. And where the fuck is Bismarck? Biz is everywhere. Biz is a, a, a celebrity DJ. <laughs> he DJs all the high profile parties around Hollywood and, and such. He rubs elbows with all of those, all those types. Um, but he does his thing. He makes good money DJing for these parties. Will Smith and Magic Johnson uh. and all this kind of stuff. Um, but my song, my song. If, if you're referring to my song, uh, me and the Biz. Me, you and the Biz. Yeah. So oh, that was the Kane song, just rhyming with Biz. Exactly. Right? Um, I said I forgot my fucking notes. That's all right. My my, <laughs> song, my song was supposed to be a duet. It was supposed to be a duet with me and Biz. Um, I learned during the process of my making my first album that um, that Kane pretty much wrote a lot of Biz's rhymes, and so Marley explained to me that the way it worked was that Kane would lay Biz's verses down. He he would spit them, and then give Biz the tape. Biz would take the tape, memorize it, and then come back and spit. So I was like, okay, cool. I really think that this is a perfect beat for Biz. I wrote my verse and I wrote his verse. I said, okay, I'm going to record my parts and then I'll record Biz's parts on a separate track and I'll change my voice so that he'll know when he hears the song when he rhymes and, and when I rhyme. Now this here gem is like a special kind of song. It's not too short, but then again, it's not too long. I brought somebody with me, someone you might know. He's about to wreck your body from the tip of your toe all the way up until your last hair follicle. Hey, it's me, the diabolical. Yes, yo, it's time for me to fall into a funky beat. 
to make you have a ball and like jump Make you move your rump on the floor and like pump Come on, don't be a chump, I see four and maybe five Live party people, but the rest did not survive Why? They had a cardiac arrest So that's what we recorded I gave him the tape He's like, yo, it's cool, I'll do it But I'm not coming to Marley's crib Because at the time, him and Marley were having a little bit of a disagreement um, And he was like, if you want to record it Bring the tape to my house. He wanted me to bring the two-inch reel to his his studio at his crib to record the song. And Marley shut that down because Marley was, I mean, he's Marley. I'm not, I'm the new guy. Like, I'm just happy to be down. Marley's like, nah, we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. Let's just leave it how it is. I'm like, leave it how it is. Yeah, you know, it might be cool. It's a cool song. People going to think it's biz. It, you know, it'll be a cool little whatever. And I was like, <coughs> I wasn't really feeling it, but I was like, all right, I'm impersonating Biz on on a song now. Okay, okay, I guess. I named it me. I named it me and the Biz, and um, I guess they said the rest is history. We shot the video for it. Obviously, Biz wasn't in the video because he's not on the song. So we we got somebody to make a puppet of him, and that all that was kind of cool. Was he cool with that, or was he? You know, I never really got to have a real conversation with him about it. Um, I don't know if he was 100% cool with it. He, w- he went with it because I'm on the label. I'm down with the crew. But um, I heard that he had like some little like, you know, stuff to say at the time when the song was out. But uh, it was nothing like too disrespectful. He just was mad at Marley. He wasn't trying to really rock with Marley at that time. All right. That's good. Uh, one of my favorite songs. I, I mentioned this to you before. Um, and it's got one of my favorite samples. Uh, Willie Hutch. Mm. It's it's. I'm skipping for it because I like I, I could go song by song by song. Yeah, we'll be here all fucking day. Good old love. Yeah, shout to Ninth Wonder. Man, talk to me about like the, the creation. Like I love that song. Again, you have a you have a tendency, and you you get in a sweet spot a lot of times with sentimentality. Not on the rhymes, but just it has that soul. Yeah. it's like a soul song. Yeah, and it's got you know the Willie Hutch sample. So so talk to me about like how that that song came about with Ninth. And the beat, you know, like, what, did you hear the beat first? Like, what, how did that work? Definitely heard, I heard the beat first. Um, um, shout to, shout to Abby O'Neill um, from NPR who actually gave me the beat CD with those beats on it. Um, Ninth Wonder was just one of many producers that were on this beat CD that she gave me. Um, she was like kind of helping producers shop beats. And um, so she gave me this beat CD. I listened to it and immediately I, I, I zoomed in on that beat because... I knew the Willie Hutch sample. I knew it from that Mob Deep joint, um, and I think it's called Still Shining was their joint. But I knew that sample. But he flipped it different, and I was like, "This is actually dope. Is it's as dope as the Mob Deep joint, but it's different." And I immediately wrote um, to that beat. Now this is this is Ninth Wonder down with Little Brother before what he wound up doing pre Beyonce and, and Destiny's Child pre Jay Z. Um, and so I recorded the joint. It was it was a very reasonable price at that time. And he he actually credits me in an interview as being his first uh, song placement outside of his little brother camp. Uh. So he's like, yo, Ace is the one who really opened that door. And and boy, I'm glad I opened that door. But when I did, because literally before Good Old Love even dropped. He was already working with Destiny's Child and Jay-Z and he was in the studio with these people. And I was like, man, I, I would have never been able to afford this guy. Uh, Had I met him like eight months later, I would have not been able to afford him. So it just worked out. And, and, and to this day, that song is still like the, the song I close my shows with. People respond to it. Oh, yeah. my God. It's the perfect. 
ending to a show. I love that fucking yeah. song. Um, finally, uh, and then I want to ask you, Marco, specific questions. Crooklyn, Crooklyn Dodgers, another Brooklyn song, yeah. a totally different sounding Brooklyn song. Yeah. Tip produced it. Yep. You, Buckshot, Special Ed, yep. Erasmus Hall High School. I went to uh, Erasmus Hall with Special Ed. Wow. Used to see his tag all around the school say special ed. I was like, this kid must be in special ed because right. his tag was fucked up. Right. It was a bad tag. His tag was fucked up. So, um, how did that song come about? And it was, you know, to me, like Brooklyn Story has that same type of thing. Like it's just like this, it has this emotion to it. Talk to me about what you remember about that song and getting, you know, you four together at the time yeah. and, you know, uh, Spike Lee joined Crooklyn. What do you remember about the song? So Ali was definitely part of the production of that record. Um, Q-Tip, I got a call from Q-Tip. I don't, I don't even know how he got my number. He got my number from somebody. And he just he just asked me over the phone, yo, we're doing this um, song for Spike Lee's movie, Are You Down? And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm down. Like, at that time... That's such a Q-Tip conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you down? Yes, I'm down. Um, at, at the time, I had my song Born to Roll, which was really blowing up crazy on the West Coast. And, you know, the East Coast wasn't really checking for that record or, or, or those records that I had been doing that were making noise on the West. So it was a perfect opportunity for me to, like, work with some guys from my town. And, you know, the fact that it was going to be a, about a movie, a movie about my borough. It was like, OK, this is like the perfect balance to what I got going on on the West Coast and down south. So we go to um, Special Ed Studio, Dollar Cab Lab, which is on um, Utica and I want to say... What was the cross street? I want to say Utica and maybe D or something like that, Avenue D. Um, we go upstairs to Dollar Cab Lab, and it's my first time going there. Tip is there. Ali is there. They play the beat. Okay, beat, beat sounds cool. We all took a copy of the beat home with us, wrote our ROMs. We came back on a separate occasion to, to record. I can't even remember where we did the, re the recording at, but we recorded our verses. Spike Lee comes in to listen to the song, and he goes... This is not really... Y'all need to see the movie. He's like, because this is like... Because we just all wrote just braggadocious, regular New York MC, I'm the illest, da-da-da, type rhymes. He's like, this doesn't really capture the, the movie. He set up a private screening of the movie on a separate day. Only about 20 people there. Me, Buckshot, Ed were there, Tip was there, Ali, a few other people. We sat down, we watched the whole movie in this little small screening room. He's like, now you've seen the movie. Now go back and capture the essence of the 70s and what you've just seen. Capture that in the verses. And we all went back and wrote completely new verses. And that's the version of the song that everybody knows. That's fucking dope. Cool. What does it take to get you out? My mentality is getting iller, killer. Instinct is trying to infiltrate, but wait. I know you want to enter, but I can't let you in. My mind stays the maddest. I'm gone with the wind. Because it is survival of the fittest When the shit hits the fan I got my shank in my hand Black man with the permanent tan I come from the villa, never ran Damn Shit, Ace <laughs> <laughs> One more thing Because I don't want to go down full Master Ace rabbit hole When Born to Roll was, was cooking And it was like a different sound And I'll be honest Like I was like I knew you as a Brooklyn dude Right And it was a different sound And like at the time I was prejudiced against different sounds Right Like if it was dope It was dope But I was like Wait, born to roll. What fuck does he know about jeeps? Like jeeps, like you know, tires and like, and like this is supposed to be Juice Crew All Star. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> right. Were you getting flack? Like, how did that switch come? Were you like, yo, fuck that? I'm trying to make sell some fucking records. Where was your head at 
Uh, and how did it come with in the in the, the short version? I'm sure there's yeah. many different things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a song. I had a song called Jeep Ass Nigga that was on my Slaughterhouse album. We had did a video for it and everything. It was a dope song. People liked it, but it wasn't like really cracking like that. We were on to the next single, um, and I decided on my own to just do a remix to that song. I took the same lyrics and I flipped it to this beat that was on a Def Jam label called Original Concept. I remember that beat because they didn't rap to it. They talked over it. It was Russell Simmons and Dr. Oh, Dre. Oh, shit. And they, would just, they, they just talked shit over the whole record. I never put the two of them together till you just said that. Yes. No, knowledge Me was, was, the, was the record. It's, it's a Def Jam record. It's an East Coast record. What the f- That was the Knowledge Me. Yeah, I mean, j- 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 So that was an East was Coast. Like, they must have been on some fucking I don't acid know. or some yeah, shit. They was on something. Because they used to play that shit over and over. I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? Exactly. But that's the beat. And I remember that I beat. I didn't connect the dots. I found that record in a 99 cent bin in somewhere in Virginia. We were on, we were on a promo tour. And I went home and I, and I listened. And I was like, I remember this beat. This would actually work in some other markets. I was saying that in my head. Calculated decision. I'm going to take the same lyrics to Jeep Ass Nigga. I'm going to lay them to this. I laid them down. I submitted it to Delicious Vinyl. They were like, why are we doing remixes to, 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 to this? Like, we're, we're, we're on to the next single. And I fought for them to put it on the B-side of my Slaughterhouse single. They put it on the B-side as, a, as just a, a one joint on the B-side. The D, all the DJs got that shit, the Slaughterhouse joint, flipped it over, and all started playing Jeep, uh, Born a Roll. I like that. I like that. Um, all right, Marco, you've worked with a bunch of people. As I said, I, I fact-checked. I, I pre-planned uh, uh, this interview. You know, there's there's a list of people, you know, and, and I try to sum it up, uh, you know, to a few people um, that you've produced for. So I want to throw different names at you about your experience with them in the booth, how they work, what you remember. Was it Corky? Uh, like, wh- who's a one-take wonder? Who's a, a micromanager? Just in, in celebration, no, no fucking gossip. But, like, let me throw first one. Large Professor, I brought him up. Yes, that was, he's one of the, I had the most fun recording with Large Pro for my very first album. I never met him. He came to my apartment. My, my best friend Theo was there who used to manage me and he came through to do this verse and uh, I think he was smoking weed or something in my bedroom where the mic was, you know what I'm saying? Because it wasn't a fancy studio. So during the takes, I would stop it and while he, while he was listening back to his lyrics, I could hear him literally get excited at, at hearing himself over the beat like oh that's dope and I, we weren't sure if he was talking to us like yo do it again but we figured out he was just vibing with himself so hard that he almost was having a little bit of a conversation with himself uh. but it's just that eclectic hip-hop goodness that you know when you see when you meet large pro you understand like if you look in the dictionary besides hip-hop i always say it should be his face just there like in his stance so he's always, and since then I've produced, I've been the only other producer on a lot of his records. He does all the beats and he saves me a slot. And I'm like, I don't know why that happens, but I'm grateful. So well, shouts to Large Pro. You know, he's such an, an another sort of unheralded, um, unless you're a hip hop head guy, you know, he's done songs. He's worked with so many people for so many years. You know, Nas shit, uh, obviously the main source shit, the Cool G rapper Polo when he was like fucking 17, mm-hmm. Rakim shit. What is it about his sound? You know, you did Tribe shit. I mean, for me, it all starts with the drums. And and as a producer, I have my drum gods. I call gods of drums, you know, and Large Professor's in that, you know, along with P-Rock, 
DJ Premier, large professor, his drums, his bass lines, the way he hooked up samples, interesting records, even that first main source album, the way he was using three or four different samples together to make these these anthems was, you know, I was just in awe. I was like, what the fuck is like where is all this stuff? He's an SP twelve hundred guy, right? He's and that's another, I'm glad you said that. He may have started on that, but Large Professor is the type of dude that everybody called to ask him how to use the sampler they had, because he knew everything. And he learned from Paul C. Right. That was his mentor. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. And um, he just knows every freaking sampler. He knows the S950. He knows the SP1200. He knows the early MPCs. Like, I could probably call large about something I don't, you know, know how to use, and he'll know how to use it. He's yeah. a dude who, like, if you got problems setting up your internet, he could, like... Yo. <laughs> He right? came like he can he can tell you like fix your shit like he's he, like seems like a he's a scientist. I think he came to my crib once to do an interview for something for the album you're on. We we're doing some promo and he saw my records and I literally feel like he was getting anxiety about how I have my records organized. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna come back and help you fucking organize this shit because this shit's crazy. It's all fucked up. You're fucking up. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. You That's dope. <laughs> um, Farrell Monch, another guy like you know. Uh, sort of like underground, unheralded dude. You worked with him. Yes. What was that experience like? What was the name of the songs? I I've done actually quite a few with him now. Um, the first one we did was called War on on Don't his work War album, and then the next album we really locked in. We did three. We called one was called Rapid Eye Movement featuring Black Thought, which is just them trading bars, <laughs> bananas. Then there was Times Square and a really special song to me called The Jungle, which I know Aces is a fan of. Very conceptual song. Another New York song. Uh. Pharaoh is a scientist. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes when I first met him, I was like, is this guy a little, does he have Asperger? Is he a little, you know what I'm saying? But it's not, it's just like the socialness of some of your favorite artists is always a little off. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I got you. But it's just like a thing. Like, Large Pro has it too. Like, this eclectic energy where I'm like, they're just always thinking about creative shit in other galaxies, and I'm kind of jealous that I don't. I'm not there with them sometimes. I know what you mean. And Pharaoh has that thing where I'm like, I remember when he came and he was spitting a, a verse over my beat, and he did it backwards, and I was like, "You're trip." In my mind, I'm like, "Yo, you're bugging." I don't know what the fuck is happening right now, but don't do this. Like, this doesn't make sense. It's weird. And now, in hindsight, I'm like, it's brilliant. He spit eight bars backwards on another joint i'll send it to you that's crazy but it's like i i wasn't able to process what he was doing at the time and my like not open-mindedness to whatever galaxy was in almost stopped some insanity that i listen to it now and i'm like yo you're ahead like um you know he's eight steps ahead type of guy with his some of his concepts so it's it's an honor i got a new song with him and styles p that is bananas that hasn't come out yet. So shouts to Pharaoh. Always, you know, one of the best to me. He's on the album too. And he's on our yeah. album. One of a very, very dope song. A yes. Brooklyn story. Um, you did a song with Rock Kim. Yes. That that story is is dope. It's just I wasn't in the studio with him, but there's a story. Basically, I So I, so low-key that you might not see me. Yeah, exactly. Incognito exactly. taking it easy. Shouts to Nick Wiz who hooked up that connection. I gave beats to Nick Wiz. He gave beats to, to Rock Kim. Rock Kim pick some joints one specifically he recorded to he wanted to use it on his album he could not have multiple samples that could not be cleared i think i sampled like ike and tina or something stupid it scared them and they're like yeah we can't clear it i'm like give me the record i'll put that shit out i don't give a fuck so the record came back to me i ended up remixing it i spoke with r on the phone a couple times i I still stay in, in touch sometimes but 
I wasn't in the actual lab with him for that one because he's just sometimes in his own situations. And but shout but when to you him. got it back and you're hearing his voice, dude, I'm hearing rock him on my beat. It's like life changing for me as a fan. Like his voice is instantly like it's rock him on my beat. I'm a kid from you know the burbs of Toronto, Canada, and rock him's rhyming on my beat. It was a life changing moment, even with Kane. And shouts to Ace. I'm almost positive that connection came from Ace to meet Kane. Got Ace. Uh, Kane called me randomly one day on my cell phone, unknown number. It's fucking Big Daddy Kane. I look at my roommate. I'm like, I'm talking to Kane right now. Like, it's fucking <laughs> Big Daddy Kane on the phone. Um, and we did our joint. And it's crazy to me, even talking about it now after 15 years in the game, you know, producing for all these dudes. I, I'm still a fan, man, after all this time, you know? That's so. dope. Um, a Kuali. He's a dude who's a fucking workhorse. <clears throat> Definitely. Like, that motherfucker, once he started rhyming, he never stopped rhyming. Like, he just songs, songs, records, different style. Like, he just goes, what, what, what is the process working with Qua? I was on a Quali record, too. Absolutely. You were I, my, my, my fucking, my body of work as guest joints and it's fucking pretty fucking thick. It is. Like, it's you pretty. Were, but you were in a couple of his videos, too, I remember. And the record. But, like, you know, and I was on a Jay-Z record. Uh, no, Jay-Z video. Like, my shit's, I was in a Sean Price video and a Sean Price record. Like, that's something to brag about. No, yeah, that's your hip-hop strikes, Create man. a resume. Yeah, I, yeah. I've never, I never rhymed on any. I don't know why <laughs> they never asked me to do that. I'm always saying I got 12, 16, or 32 ready to go. But you know what? You just reminded me, Mike, because I used to work at a studio on Broadway where Tower Records used to be where all the raucous dudes Quali used to record and you came through and that's where I started I used to be a scrubby intern at the cutting room so with Quali it's interesting because he saw me as a not I'm saying a lesser than but I was the guy who probably went to pick up his food before I was making beats or get coffee you know what I'm saying and so for me to transition into the his perspective that's what I was to an equal and producing for him and we have a really special song on Port Authority too the album you narrated about Guru dedicated to Guru right. rest in peace and, uh, you know, he came through and now, you know, we do, I did a joint with him and Styles and the Locks. I've done a joint with him and Sean Price, rest in peace, called Palookas. So, uh, I've actually never been in the studio. We have so many songs recorded. It's always back and forth, that That's internet crazy. shit. But we, you know, I, every time we see each other, it's all love. And, you know, he owes me a couple verses, so I'll probably be calling him up soon. All right. Um, Sean Price, you know, uh, you... When did you Sean's from like He's like from Three Brown, minutes Brownsville Houses yeah. Three minutes away from you Five walk, minutes away walk from Walking distance I used to walk through Through there all the time Or around there I should say I didn't walk through there I walked around there <laughs> You're Right yeah. And partially because of him If you didn't know him No I mean I was Well he's younger than me So he's like He's like from Decepticon era right. I, I was in college During Decepticons Right all the younger guys that 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 um that I, that came up under me, they was all in that Decepticon stuff. I wasn't in that. I was already too old for that garbage. Sean Price passed. I mean, you know, when he passed, like a lot of times when people pass, people start to, you know, appreciate him more. Like to me, it seemed like rapping came easy to him, and he was so Brooklyn, um, such a great sense of humor. Um, so talk about him as an MC uh, and, you know, working with him and just like just a, a homage to him. Well, listen, man, um, he to me. There's two Sean Prices for me. There's the Helter Skelter Sean Price, which I thought Helter Skelter was a dope group. Me too. I like the records that they did. And then things just kind of started to slow down for Duck Down. And then you didn't really hear any Helter Skelter records. And then it was like silent for a minute. And then one day I'm playing grand theft auto and i hear this joint on on the rap station because you're driving around in the car and you can change to any station you want i always have kept miles on the rap station 
and I hear this song called Rising to the Top. And I'm like, what the hell is this? This is dope. I like this. I don't even know what this is, but it, the beat is dope. The, the rhymes are crazy. And that was my rediscovery of, 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 of Sean Price, that record. And then from that moment, from that record, I think that kicked off his solo career and everything that he's done after that, which is like a completely two different, two yeah. different careers. Monkey bars, yeah. Yeah, his transition. I, I think I think he had a, just like kind of you with Disposable, when he went solo and changed from Ruck to Sean Price and did Monkey Bars, it was like a new person. Like, he went somewhere dark and those emotions was like, fuck this, broke his rapper alive, you know, that's me. You know what I'm saying? And he changed his whole shit up. And, man, I have a good story about Sean. He came to my crib once um, holding a bag of fish. Just <laughs> he just came up and he's like, "Yo, can you put this in my fr in the fridge?" And then because he uncooked. came uncooked, he's like, "Yo, I, this is my dinner. Just throw it in the fridge for now in the freezer." So fucking Sean, <laughs> fucking price. That's fucking funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's so weird, man. I'm blessed because like we had a connection too. Because just random times he would like he's like, "Yo, I know you like coffee. Come to this place. We went to this spot called Gorilla Coffee in Park Slope and and it you know, he just knew I like coffee and then another time he would call me randomly on the phone and be like, "I heard this sample. You know what I'm saying? I heard this Billy Paul sample from a movie. I'm gonna send it to you. Flip it and you know, and it ended up becoming a song on his last album Rest in Peace with Freeway uh, called Prisoner and and I just felt cool that he would call me and give me these little assignments, like thought of me. I'm like, you could work with Map. He was working with everybody, Ninth Crisis, Alchemist. So for him to go out his way to be like, yo, I thought you could do this, you know, rest in peace, man. That's I'm still missing that dude. He was yeah. the best. And he seemed to get better with age. He did. Like in a as a rapper, he was like liberated. Like he just, it's but, like he figured out some kind of cheat code. But that's and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the thing to do with when it was held to Skelter. I always feel like the 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 focus was on Rockness, you know, because he's super dope, right? And and and, the, and, and, the, and I think the 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 group chemistry kind of kept him in a, in a certain space, like because right. he had to like bounce off of of rock, and they had to make that work and stuff. And so he, you know, the, the group was whatever that image was, you know, the straight jackets and the crazy hair. That was just like an image. And and the records had to match the image, but I think after that was when he really was like, I'm just gonna be me. Yeah, because Rockness went off and got a crazy huge deal with uh, remember it was a Fred Durst or something. I, I oh, and Sean had nothing popping, so it was like I think it, he was going through a lot of things. Yeah, Rockness got a huge deal with some Limp Biscuit or one of those groups. They loved him mm. and they signed him. Yeah, don't quote me on that, but one of those rock guys. We don't guys. fact check here anyway. <laughs> you, you feel free to, you could just make but up I remember, shit. I remember because Sean used to tell me these stories, like rock got this huge deal and like I was sitting here trying to figure out what to do and I think it's that type of energy or vibe that made him reinvent like, yo, I'm coming, I'm Sean Price now. And look what happened. Yep. All right, listen. This was lived up to all my fucking expectations, <laughs> sincerely. Imagine if you had your notes, it would have been crazy. If I had my crazy. fucking notes, you guys would be like, all right, we're, we're not, not going to do a better interview than this. I'm sad, man. You got me hyped, Mike. Now, this is why I podcast. Like, this is, I think, uh, going to be a completely unedited, perfect I Am Rap Poor Stereo podcast, hip-hop podcast. So, listen, A Brooklyn Story drops November 9th, 2018. You guys are going to tour with this shit? Yeah, we're going to Europe um, right after Thanksgiving. Now, I, I would like to assign myself. If you find out, if you do the legwork and find out who I got to uh, Instagram shit talk, who I got to tweet shit talk, who I got to shame <laughs> into giving this song, because you know we're going to have all the big groups and all the labels and Ariana Grande going for, she'll, she'll be up for, you know, she'll be submitting something for a hip-hop single or hip-hop song. I will take it upon myself. If you tell me who to get, I'll be the fucking bulldog 
to go get him to try to give this song its due um, because I think it's a beautiful song, a much needed song, and and you know it's it's the rare um, a boom bap sentimental boom bap smacker. Um, so thank you, uh, Marco Polo Master Ace. I appreciate you rocking me. Good luck, everybody. You should download Cop Motherfucking a Brooklyn Story. The spelling of Brooklyn. That's Ace's idea. We spelled it the original Dutch way because it was, and I didn't know this once again, that it was named after a Dutch city. And so it had that spelling. He said, I want to use this spelling. I was like, no one's going to know what that is. And now I think it's the dopest shit ever. And shout out to Smith & Wesson, who we didn't even mention are on the, on the uh, record. Smith & Wesson. Classic yep. Brooklyn dudes, yep. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. Now, was I bullshitting? I told you. I fuck. I don't, listen. I told you. I told you it was good. I want to thank Master Ace. People, check the whole album out, A Brooklyn Story. I want to thank Marco Polo. Thank you for rocking with the best Iron Rapport Stereo Pockets. What more can I do? What more can I do? What more can I give? Miles, take us out of here with something dope from that new Master Ace, Marco Polo record, A Brooklyn Story. This is the Iron Rapport Stereo Podcast. Done. Destined to die with no estate And so I wait For the chance of a lifetime That I might shine Be a millionaire But I'm not using a lifeline I see right through it Like white wine This is sacred ground And y'all running the pipeline Trying to funnel in these frauds In front of men I was right there With the blank stare When you bought them in Man this shit is competitive And your best what you better give Can't let them live Yo I'm sure there's more Than what you were playing for Life's pain You gotta try to withstand more